Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the Bat Around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our listening and viewing audiences. The Bat-Around has hit the airwaves. Stan the Fan, along with Craig Heist. Two hours of scintillating baseball talk and our uh, friend Kyle Ottenheimer, who's been doing double duty with all of our draft coverage, is here this morning. And he ain't no Brittany, let me tell you. And he's no Bridget either. Yeah, he's no Bridget either. All right. Hey, Craig, you were down covering the Nats game last night. Yes, so I was. We didn't see your uh, handsome face over at Camden Yards. When you, and I know how you you had the game on, probably on your computer. No, I have a TV right in front you of You have me. a TV, so you switched it to the Orioles so you could yeah. watch the Oriole game. As that game unfolded, as you watched the Nationals lose, uh, what, 6-5 to five or 5-4? to four? Five four. Five four to the Arizona good Arizona Diamondbacks team. Eighteen and seven right yeah. now. And that starting pitching staff, along with that bull that bullpen, has a collective ERA of one point seven. That's pretty good that's the last pretty, time I looked. Yeah. You know, I'm not an analytics guy, but uh, right. that's pretty good. But seriously, as you watched last night's Orioles game unfold, a couple unusual things happened. The Orioles got a lead. They extended the lead a couple times, and a guy named uh, Chris Tillman, number 30, uh-huh. looked a little bit like Chris Tillman of old, well, at least in the results department. Well, it's his first win since May of last year, and that's really hard to believe in itself. Uh, I saw... I think I won more games in that time period. Velocity-wise, yeah. uh, I think, he, you know, again, what we've been seeing, low 80s, occasionally touching 90, but his curveball... Really kept people off balance last night, and and the curveball uh, when he was throwing it mechanically, it looked more like the Chris Tillman we were used to seeing. Now this is one start. Can this happen as we go forward? We'll have to wait and see. But uh, I really like Buck Showalter's comments last night, saying you know you felt good, not just for Chris but for this ball club because he feels like this rotation. You know, you get Alex Cobb straightened out and get going. He feels like this rotation can really turn into something, and I have a tendency to agree with him. If they can just get the bats going, that's the biggest thing. And last night, they got him going a little, a little bit. bit with the long ball. Pedro Alvarez, a couple of long balls, and Manny Machado. Uh, but this is a this was a real good sign for me last night, Stan, to watch Chris Tillman throw the ball as well as he did. I would totally agree with you. And, uh, you know, Chris plays it pretty cool, but uh, the, the media scrum around him last night, there was a level of confidence and sort of relaxation. But I asked him the question. I said, has there ever been a moment in what you've gone through where you doubted you could be standing here talking to us after a performance like that. And he actually, it surprised me because I think it's just human to have had some doubt creep in. He wouldn't acknowledge that. He said, no, I I knew what I needed to do. 
Uh, I just had to go out there and execute better. And to him, it wasn't a physical issue all this time, much of it this year. It was an execution. It was an execution. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I think what he also said last night was that he felt it coming around, and Buck said this too, he felt it coming around the last start, even though he gave up the four runs. Mechanically, he felt a little bit better. Uh, he felt like he had a better feel for, and, and that's the biggest thing to me, the feel for the pitches. Yeah. Everything with Chris Tillman, and I can't say it's not like that for all guys who throw the, throw the baseball for a living, but when you rely on mechanics and the feel and how it's coming out of your yeah, hand. Yeah, when you lose a little bit of velocity, and right. let's, let's be honest, he was never 95, 96 regularly, but he was 92, 93 a lot. He's now 89, 91-ish. Mm-hmm. You know, for him, he's got to have that confidence that when he has the ability or a, pit, a hitter set up, he needs to be able to keep him off balance. Right, and when you lose that kind of velocity – uh, and, and you're going from 93, 94 down to 90, 91, you better have command of that fastball and you better know where it's going because strike one is very important to you because it sets up everything else you want to do. Yeah, You know what impressed me last night, too, and that's why I asked Buck Showalter after the game, is, is, is this the same Chris Tillman exactly that we saw three, four, five years ago? And he said, not really. And the one thing I noticed last night, an awful lot of ground ball outs, which isn't typically where Chris Tillman works. No, not really. He's a fly ball pitcher or has been. Yep. And uh, it was good to see that. Maybe he's found something that will allow him to get you're more n- ground You're not ball. calling him a has-been. No. No. You no, said he has been a ground uh, a fly, a fly ball, ball pitcher. Right. But he's not a has-been. Not a has-been, <laughs> no. Uh, but but what, what I mean by that, though, is if he has found something right. that allows him to get more soft contact and ground ball outs, that's, that's that means he's got hitters off balance. That's to right, make. and that's going to play very well for him going forward. All right, uh, Orioles and Tigers will go at it at seven oh five tonight at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Uh, Andrew Kashner faces off against Francisco Liriano, and then tomorrow afternoon is. Which pitching matchup is it tomorrow afternoon? You're asking the wrong guy today. It's Daniel Norris against Kevin Gosman. Oh, okay. I think, I think it's Gosman Norris. Then the Orioles hit the road. They're off on Monday. They've got three in Anaheim against the uh, revamped Anaheim Angels. By the way, interesting last night in a game that the Yankees came back and won last night. They trailed late in that game, but the Yankees tied it on a sack fly by Brett Gardner and then won it in the 10th or 11th. But um, Shohei Otani hit a home run against Luis Severino. Mm-hmm. Big blow in that game. Well, uh, again, it's it's amazing with Otani because when he came out of uh, spring training and started the season, everybody was kind of like, uh-oh, is, is, do the Angels really have what they thought they had? And then he really got into a little bit of a groove and, and has played very well for them. Uh, and I'm interested to see him when they come here. I'm, I'm very yeah. interested to, to see that because obviously the anomaly of, you know, a guy who's going to pitch mm. and also play in the field or, or, or DH. I don't think the Orioles play out there Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I think we miss him as a pitcher, I think. Mm-hmm. Kyle, could you look that up on the ESPN schedule? Uh, the Orioles play out there for three games, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, all three night games. And then Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they are in Oakland before coming home for another 
and when I use the word big, I don't mean like critical big, but for right now, when the Orioles play the lesser weights in Major League Baseball, and despite how well Oakland's playing, I still have to classify them as a lesser weight. When we play the Oaklands, the Tampas, Kansas Cities, we've got to play at 650, 700 to, to just to get back to square one. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is no matter who you're playing, if yeah. you're the Orioles, it's baby steps at this point for this team to try to get themselves back toward 500. If you can do that, right. then anything after that is kind of gravy, if you will. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That they're now, what, 7-19 and 19 is right. 26 games. I'm saying if by 60 games – they're within an earshot or two of 500. That would be, to me, the best they could hope for because they'd have to play about 11, 12 games over 500 right. at that point. But there, there have been teams in history that have started similar to the way the Orioles have and have been playoff teams. Yeah, Oakland A's were Oakland won A's a couple of years won, right. back. Yeah. And uh, I think the Twins also fall into that category. Uh, and it's not out of the realm, but it's like Yogi said, you know, it's getting, it's getting, it's getting early, late or it's whatever. It's getting late, late, late early, early. Right, yeah, exactly. It gets late so, awfully early around uh, And so from that standpoint, the Orioles have their work cut out for them, and what makes it tougher is the division that they're in mm-hmm. with the Red Sox getting off to the start that they have, and, of course, the Yankees and the Blue Jays playing very well. Uh, so it's you know it's an uphill, uphill climb, no question about it. But you know, again, what we saw last night is just part of what we see as baby steps. And I think a key to the baby steps, not to repeat ourselves, is that they need this rotation to be five deep. They can't. A team that's trying to dig out from a hole can't afford to have the Chris Tillman of last year. Every fifth day. Every fifth day, They right. need a guy that gives you a chance to win. And it was getting to the point where you were starting to ask yourself, okay, if this continues, how much longer is the rope for Chris Tillman as far as being in his starting rotation? And I think he silenced a lot of critics last night, at least for the time being. Yeah. You know, they are scheduled, by the way, or they were scheduled to face Otani on Tuesday. Otani apparently had a mild ankle sprain last night, mm-hmm. so he's day-to-day and depends, I guess, on the status of that. So. Okay. Uh, but Tuesday night. Okay. Uh, originally, that was the plan. All right. All it's right. like a voice from God. Yeah. It's Bridget. Yeah. It's Bridget. It's nice. uh, this is Stan the Fan along with Craig Heist. We're going to be joined uh, in about seven, eight minutes by our buddy Rich Dubroff of the Orioles. Uh, I mean, Orioles, he covers the Orioles for PressBox and PressBoxOnline.com. He hasn't gone to work for the Orioles just yet. Um, but uh, anyway, he's doing a good job for us, as he always has. Um your impressions of you know how we're going to turn this you and I I don't are gonna I don't turn do this lineup how, anyway. your impressions of what is going on uh, with this lineup right now uh, you know, well again Mancini I saw took an over four last night right uh, again he was very very good when they put him in the uh, leadoff spot I think really that's kind of where he needs to be at least for this point in time with this lineup uh, but there are some guys who just uh, haven't gotten off the schneid, and, uh, you know, you see signs of it from Chris Davis here and there, but he was 0 for 4 last night. Uh, Santander hit the ball very well coming out of spring training, but he slid off. Uh, and, and, again, now you have to wonder, once the 45 days are up, 
whether or not he's going to be a part of this team. Yeah, uh, and I would think at this point in time, as much as I like him, I like the fact we can control him in another week or yeah. 10 days, uh, I think he shows to be a guy that really should be – I'll be quite honest with you. To me, he's double-A now for six, eight weeks, get off to a great start there. He should mash at double-A, and then around mid-June – you play another six, seven weeks, and then you can come up and maybe help us in September or or put your flag in the ground for right field for next year. Yeah, because I think defensively, I think he's okay out there. Yeah. And he's got a, he's, I mean, he's known for his arm. Uh, he, he does have some trouble sometimes with balls, but uh, I, I think that's just part of the maturation process. Now, the two guys that are – and we're going to talk to Adam Pohl a little bit about this. Well, actually, not these. Well, actually, he does know one of them pretty well. He watched DJ Stewart for a good bit. Uh, DJ Stewart is off to a real good start at uh, Norfolk at mm-hmm. AAA. Uh, they moved him up, I guess, partly because he was a college kid and he's, his age is already at like 25. Uh, he's doing well. Joey Rickard is doing extraordinarily well down there. If they were to send Santander down, which of those two guys do you think we'd see? Well, we've seen Joey Rickard before. So, right. I mean, it, it depends on, to me, what the organization's feeling is as far as looking at someone else up here at the major league level, or do you go with Rickard, who is proven up here by, you know, by his sample, work yeah. size sample up here? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they went the other direction, though. It, the interesting thing with the other direction, though, and I know you you're not that familiar with DJ Stewart, no. but but you know what he looks like. Okay, you know, I've always seen him in left field. So if they said, let's take a look at DJ Stewart, does that mean Trey Mancini could go to right field? Is that a possibility? It's a possibility. I mean, there are certain ballparks that dictate. Right. Like, you probably wouldn't want Trey in right field at Fenway Park. Right. Okay? You have no problem with him in Yankee Stadium or at Camden Yards, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Uh, just because of the outfield depth and, and the configuration of the ballpark. Uh, but I think Trey's to the point where I, I wouldn't be upset wherever Trey played. Right. I think he's he's worked so much to make himself a good ball player. All right. I guess part of that could uh, also play into uh, how Mark Trumbo's doing because if Trumbo's still going to be a couple weeks, maybe you bring Stewart up, mm-hmm. you play Stewart and left, and D.H. Mancini for, you know, a few days and continue with the, uh, you know, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. But. And, and we don't know this, um, and I haven't talked to him in a few weeks, but – uh, I'm very, very happy that Preston Palmero uh, is off to is, a good start. Off to just a fabulous start. What's he doing with right Frederick? Now? I, right? well, I noticed I about two he, weeks ago his numbers were pretty impressive. He was hitting 326, and uh, great. Uh, his on base percentage was way up there, and uh, he's hit a couple of home runs, driven in some runs, uh, and and that was the step that he took from Delmarva and Low A last year to High A Frederick. So we'll see where it goes uh, from here, but uh, he's playing second base now. And He's playing second base. Yeah, second base, and uh, uh, it's interesting. That uh, is, that's pe- really people, interesting. People have told me that you know a little bit of the growing pains, but looks like he's adapting pretty well. So, well, one um, thing we know about this organization, the one hole that they seem to have, because Mountcastle we know can hit, but he doesn't project as a middle infielder. Right. Is middle infield. Right. They don't have, you know, 
I mean, I like what we've seen of Jace Peterson, but the fact that they had to go outside the organization to pick up a guy like that is a sign that they don't have anybody ready. In and the Jace so far has done what I saw him do a lot in the National League, and that's, you know, be productive. Who did he play for? Atlanta? Uh, Atlanta, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And be He's pro- a nice little player. Nice, nice little player. And, and, and be productive. Uh, totally cause... different version of Ryan Flaherty, but has some of the same skill set that he can play multiple positions, but entirely different offense. Yeah, and now Flaherty isn't ironic that he's playing every day. Yeah, and, that is. That's, that's incredible. Was leading the league in hitting for a while. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's flip over because we're going to be joined in about three minutes by Rich Dubroff. Um, the team down the road, yeah. the Washington Nationals, not off to the – I think most people assumed that the Mets, Phillies, and Atlanta would all be a little improved – but the, that the Nats by now would have maybe a three, four game lead. It's just the opposite. The Nats are six games six out back last night of after, the Mets. Yeah. And it, the division suddenly, with the exception of Miami, looks like this could be a real, as Paul Baker used to say, a real taffy pull in that division. That's right. And uh, it, it could very well be. But I think the one thing you look at over the long haul of 162 is what the Nationals are able to do from a pitching standpoint in their rotation, day in and day out. And I think that probably gets them more over the hump. But the Nationals' issue is a much like what the Orioles' issue has been this first month of the season. Offensively, they haven't been able to get it going. A lot of things happening there. No Daniel Murphy right. at this point. No Adam Eaton at this point. Anthony Rendon is on the disabled list. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman hasn't gotten, gotten off. off to the start right, that he but, had last but year. But, again, here's a guy that's hitting the ball really hard right at people. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I think it's just going to be a matter of time before that happens. What's the timing with Daniel Murphy? Is it, like, late May? He, no, I don't think it's going to be late May. I think it'll probably be the middle of the month. Okay. But, and there's really no reason, quote-unquote, to rush him. Right. Because you want to make sure with coming off the surgery and everything that you – you make sure he's 100% healthy because you once he gets back, you don't want things flaring up where he goes back on the DL. And I think to some degree, to some degree, that's kind of what happened to Adam Eaton. Now, uh, we, we thought this was going to be a 10-day thing, but he's going through some more rehab. He is playing, mm-hmm. but we'll just wait and see how long it takes to get him back. But he's such a catalyst at the top. Murphy's contract is up with the Nats after, after this, this year. year yeah. How old will he be? Thirty-four? Uh, no, no, he's younger than that. Thirty-three. Well, I'll tell you, I like him in in this Orioles lineup. You know, projecting. I'm not yeah, so but sure where do you that play him if Scope doesn't come back. Uh, I'll I'll figure a place out for him. I'll figure a place out for a guy. He's currently that gets thirty-three. Him. 33. 33. Yeah. I'll figure a place out for him. I'll play him, uh, you know, compared to what we have at third base, I think I'd play him there. I could find a way to play him at first base a little bit. I mean, I like that 360, 370 on base percentage. Well, lots of people do. Yeah, and, know. you know, uh, and it's amazing. What What's amazing about Daniel Murphy is when you go back to the World Series when he was with the Mets. Right. And to have the kind of postseason that he had that year with the Mets. Uh, and here was a guy that got maligned for his defense, mm-hmm. and yet nonetheless he made himself into a pretty good defensive second baseman. Yeah, he's he's perfectly adequate yeah. at second yeah. base. You know, so, uh, again, he, I like the way part that... of part of it's New York and and where you're playing, but the other part of it is 
uh, he's worked really hard to get where he is defensively. I love that 370 on-base percentage, though. Really do. Uh, again, our guest list today, Adam Pohl will join us at around 1045, talk about the Orioles' minor league system from stem to stern. Uh, and he's covered a lot of these guys. Lee Lowenfish, baseball author and teacher, uh, will be on with us about 1110. And former WBAL sportscaster Steve Stort, now part of the Kansas City Royals broadcasting team with Denny Matthews and uh, uh, that whole crew out there. We'll talk to him about a rebuild that's underway out there. But joining us right now is at Rich Dubroff, MLB, Rich Dubroff. Rich, how are you? I'm great, Stan. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. When you say you're great, uh, got to be for the organization a nice night last night, not just because of the team win, but because they, they've they sort of invested in Tillman coming back. And last two starts, we've seen a pretty decent guy out there. All right, you are, Stan. You know, last night he, it was sort of vintage Tillman. It was kind of the, the Tillman you saw back in his prime when, you know, maybe he'd have a little trouble in the uh, in the first inning, and then uh, and then things would get uh, and then he'd get a lot stronger, and, uh, and and that's that's certainly what happened. And you know, for for people who were uh, who were ready to pull the plug on him, uh, you know, not very long ago, uh, it's uh, a quick turnabout. Well, multitasking like I do, uh, I was covering the Nationals game. But had the Orioles game right on TV in front where, of me. Where was the Wizards game? Uh, well, we, we did that as well. <laughs> you know, have have remote, will travel. Uh, but what I saw, Rich, last night out of him was better fastball command, but the breaking stuff and the off-speed stuff, mechanically when he was throwing it, he looked so much better. And he really had his stuff because he was keeping, you could tell by some of the swings and misses that he had guys off balance last night. Yeah, right. You, right, right. You are, Craig. I'm, I'm, I'm sure he was almost Steven Strasburg like last night. Well, huh? no, because Steven couldn't get a shutdown inning last night. That was his. He threw the ball well enough, but that Diamondbacks team is pretty good, and uh, he just could. Every time the Nationals got a lead last night, he couldn't get the shutdown inning. But uh, for back to Tillman, though, I thought uh, when he was throwing that off-speed stuff, he had people off balance. Yeah, he really was, uh, you know, but one of the points that Buck Showalter made uh, after the game last night is when you have a really good pitcher, uh, when their fastball isn't as good as it, as it used to be, it, uh, you know, it kind of, uh, they kind of make up for it with their, with their, you know, experience and intelligence. And that's sort of what he's, uh, he's seeing out of, uh, out of Tillman last night. We're talking with Rich Dubroff. His uh, Twitter handle is at Rich Dubroff MLB, and he joins us now. Um, talk a little bit about the O's. Uh, tonight, Andrew Kashner goes against Francisco Liriano. Uh, Kashner is a, a different bird, isn't he? Well, Kashner's uh, a very, uh, you know, a very uh, determined, edgy kind of uh, a guy, a lot different. Than uh, you know, than you see out of uh, a lot of other pitchers. You know, uh, Tillman is uh, you know pretty reserved. Uh, you know, Kevin Gossman is uh, is pretty outgoing, but uh, Kashner is uh, you know, and Kashner's got that got that edge to him. I mean, Bundy's got an Bundy's got an edge, but I think Kashner is uh, a little uh, a little brasher there than uh, you know 
than, than uh, Dylan Bundy. And it, it's something that uh, I know Buck Showalter felt the, uh, the pitching staff was lacking. And, you know, while, uh, you know, the results for the team certainly haven't been there the first, uh, you know, first you know, few weeks of the season, uh, he likes the pitching staff. He likes the starting staff. So, you know, it's going to be interesting, uh, you know, in the next few weeks to see, you know, not only if the team can turn it around, but if the starters can uh, can continue to pitch well. Well, and that's the thing for me, uh, you know, this pitching staff, everybody maligned this staff coming into the season. And my way of looking at it is with the way they've pitched, if this offense would have just been, you know, up to par uh, not even pedestrian, even pedestrian, if you will. This team is probably closer to 500. Uh, they're not in first place with the Red Sox or up there with the Yankees, but they're certainly holding their own in this division. And, you know, obviously they've created quite the climb for themselves to dig out of this hole. Yeah, they certainly, you know, they, they, they certainly have. And I think that one of the, uh, the overlooked deficiencies in the ball club has been the defense. You know, uh, and we can talk all, you know, we can talk about the offense because it's easy to see. But, you know, when you look at a lot of these ground balls going through the hole, uh, I, I think with uh, maybe with uh, with scope there, uh, you know, and he's been missing for two weeks. Some of those ball, a lot of those balls would have, uh, you know, would have been gobbled up. And I, I think maybe the record would be a little, you know, maybe the record would be a little better. The pitchers right. would be able to get deeper in games. And I know it's it's harder to quantify, but just you know watching the games, uh, the, the infield defense is, is certainly leaves a lot to be desired. Uh, looking ahead a few days, we're just about at May first, and I think that date for Anthony Santander, where he becomes fully Oriole property, is about nine ten days away. Um, if you were guessing now, looking at how Rickert and DJ Stewart are playing at Norfolk, uh, and the way Santander is his entire game is uh, playing out at the major league level, what do you think the club is going to do, Rich? Well, I, I you know I don't know if he'll go down exactly on May 12th, but uh, I think that you know it gives them the opportunity to send them down because you know while. Well, I'm often asked to predict moves weeks in advance. There are always going to be multiple moves coming before that, yeah. or moves that are unexpected. Moves due, that are unexpected due to injury. And you're yeah. asking me, well, gee, if this were to basically, if this, even though you, we know it can't happen for two weeks, if this were they, the point is that it gives them the opportunity to do that yep. with Santander, which they don't have with with the other outfielders. I mean, they don't. Uh, so my I mean, they question: Trey Mancini has options, but my, they're not going to they're not going to use it. It gives them the opportunity to to move him uh, back and forth and give him you know everyday playing time. My, so uh, my larger one question: of the that he my, has, sorry, my larger question isn't whether they send him down. It's if they do. Do you see Rickard being more attractive to them or DJ Stewart? And let me let me finish my question. If they were to go pull the DJ Stewart string, he projects as simply a left fielder when the position they'd need would be right field. Does that limit his chances of being called up? Well, you know, he pitched he they had him playing 
some right field okay. in spring, you know, spring training, you know, at the end, uh, uh, toward the end of his, uh, his time in spring training. And I, I think that Stewart really needs, you know, more time in triple a, you know, he's one interesting thing is he's done well so far. Mm-hmm. And in his last two seasons, you know, when he started at Delmarva in 16 and when he started at Bowie last year, he didn't do well the first half yep. of the season. It wasn't yep. until the second half of the season it took off. So that's that's good. I mean, but on the other hand, he didn't impress. He didn't do a lot to impress in spring training. But the thing that augurs positive for him, uh, vis-a-vis Rickard, is that he's a left-handed hitter, and Rickard was, you know, Rickard was basically beaten out by. No, not necessarily Santander, but by Craig Gentry, because Gentry does the same things that that Rickard does. And the other interesting question is, are they going to keep going with just a three a three man bench? Because I, I, you know, I've asked Showalter several times, and he he keeps saying he'd like to go to a four man bench. So, but. If they go and, and activate Trumbo on Tuesday in Anaheim as they're planning to do, will they, you know, will they excise a position player, or will they, you know, or will they drop a pitcher? Because that may help answer the Santander question. Well, the other thing is, it's it's amazing how quickly things change. I'm looking. First of all, I didn't know Trumbo had gone to Norfolk. He went two for five in his one game there with two RBIs. But DJ Stewart has dropped to 250. His batting average and his own base percentage is right. 328. A week ago, those right. were you know, much still, higher. And remember, remember with Norfolk, they didn't start. They started a week later mm-hmm. than uh, the, than the Orioles did. So they're they're having you know and they've had a lot of uh, they've had a lot of weather issues too. So you know they they just haven't played as uh, as many games. So I think his early uh, his early hot streak uh, you know was just as a as a result of a you know a relatively few games. But I, I really think it's in his best interest to uh, to stay there. You know, yeah, to keep a, to, to keep to keep him down there. And and as for Rickard, I mean while he you know while he had that. Uh, you know, five hit game, and he's you know he's playing somewhat better. I don't know that this is you know Rickard is considered uh, a long term answer. He's a you know yeah he, he's more of a fourth or fifth outfielder yep. type. I think that had um, you know had they not had the Santander issue, it's possible he would have made the team. Mm-hmm. But he was hitting horribly in spring training, yep. and they felt he was terribly lost, and he needed to to go down and play well. Well, he's play. made the most of his opportunities hitting 345 and his own base percentage is 456. Not any power, but uh, 10 RBIs, 11 runs scored, three stolen bases, but a 456 on base percentage. And we know what kind of defense he gives you. He's pretty solid. Yeah, and again, but again, if you, but if you have him, and Craig Gentry, you're having basically two of the same thing on the yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got a question for you, Rich, as we continue to move along in this season. We're still waiting to see Alex Cobb kind of come into his own and be the kind of pitcher that the Orioles uh, expect him to be when they acquired him. What's the sense just being around him after these last few starts, and especially the last one, 
what kind of body language are you seeing and, and what are you taking out of what he is telling you in terms of how close he is to being that kind of guy? Well, you know, you know, Craig, I thought that his last uh, outing wasn't all that bad for four innings. Right. Yep. You know, he pitched okay for four innings, and then things came a cropper uh, in the fifth. Yeah, he seems uh, befuddled by this. But you, you know as well as I do that pitchers are, are creatures of habit. And I really think taking him into a new environment without a spring training, without the opportunity to pitch in games to – know uh the catcher he was going to be working with in games and the infielders he was going to be working with uh, i think that he's learning on the he's learning on the fly and uh maybe you shouldn't have expected him to to be as good as he was uh last year uh but certainly not you know certainly not as uh, bad as he has been the first times but everybody i talked to seems to think, oh, the guy's just going to be fine. He's just got to work in. Yeah, let's quant- let's quantify it. He had about 22 to 23 days before his first start. It was sheer lunacy on in my th- way of thinking to have thought he was going to be anything different than he's been. This, to me, should have been his first start was the game against Tampa, and we wouldn't be talking about it as being a problem. We would have said, well, he looked good for four innings. You know, uh, he'll be fine. Well, but- part – Yep. Part of the problem, Stan, was because of the way he was signed, yep. the calendar worked against him. No question about it. He, he had to be – if he had been optioned uh, to the minors and stayed past 20 days, he would not have accumulated Major League service time, which is actually a big deal. I understand that, yeah. Big deal to players. Uh, Dan Duquette at FanFest, when he was asked uh, – you know, about what, because when you looking back at FanFest, they only had Bundy and Gosman as surefire starters, and they hadn't signed Cobb, uh, Tillman, and Cash. Yep. And Dan was asked, well, when do you need to get pitchers signed? And he said, oh, he thought March 1st right. uh, to get him ready for the season. Well, it took three, basically took three weeks past March yep. 1st to get, uh, to, get, to get Cobb signed. So they were basically... Looks like they they were almost tossing away the month of April with right. him. Hey, I've got to ask and, you one. Uh, I, and I think that this really should be a lesson that you got to get, you know, you got to get people signed as early as you can. Well, there's a reason that spring training starts for pitchers and catchers February 10th to 12th, right? And he started his March the 22nd or 23rd. It's not real. It's not rocket science. It takes longer than 21 days to be ready to really help your team. I got to ask you one other question about the Cobb signing, which is confusing to me. Did did the Orioles the, he was he offered a qualifying offer by the Rays and turned he was. it and turned it down correctly? Correct. Correct. So the Orioles do not lose a draft pick for signing him. Yes, they do lose a draft okay. pick, but they don't. But it's their third highest. It's their third high pick. Okay. It's their third highest pick. It's no longer because of the new, uh, the the newer uh, new CBA bargaining agreement. Yep. They don't lose their uh, they don't lose their first round pick. So they lose a uh, they uh, they lose a later pick. All them. right. Hey, uh, before we get back to talking a little direct Orioles baseball with you for a few minutes, tell our listeners and viewers on Facebook Live what you do every day and have been doing for what about four seasons now. With the jersey of yeah. the day, 
what I've been doing, and I know it's something that you, uh, I love uh, it. You've taken a keen interest, a keen interest in, uh, Craig Heist less so, uh, is, uh, <laughs> Well, there's only he's really not, he's not I, on the press box yeah, payroll. I'm not on the play, payroll, but there's only two uniforms I'm really interested in. Rich, you know that. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I look at uh, I look in the stands uh, for the fans who have brought interesting, who are wearing interesting jerseys from Orioles in the past. No, no current Orioles. Orioles in the past, and you know, uh, and fans have uh, have really been very very creative <clears throat> pardon me in uh in getting uh and wearing these jerseys like last night there was a uh a jersey that i used from Geronimo heel who was a uh who was the last rookie catcher to start on opening day for the Orioles. Yeah, wow and apparently i learned on on twitter after i posted it he's still playing triple a mexican league ball at the age of 42 wow that is uh, a... Maybe but Dan, of, maybe uh, Dan can lot... pick them up if there's an injury. Uh, well, I think that <laughs> I, I think that maybe Craig's catching career that, that, uh, yeah, may you not go. be uh, may not be over if uh, if that's the case. Uh, but uh, but I'm looking for I'm looking for no, you know notorious Orioles. Uh, uh, you know, lots of times we get good reactions from you know players who are uh, you know. Who had some controversy around them, like uh, Rafael Palmero, Albert Sammy Bell, Sosa, or Albert, Albert Bell. Bell. Yeah, uh, and of course, every night you can see the great Orioles in the stands, uh, jerseys of uh, Eddie Murray and Jim Palmer and uh, Brooks Robinson, Frank Robinson, and Cal Ripken. Uh, you know those. Uh, those I'll use uh, so, you know, so, when, when when there's a good hook to them. So I but know you go. I know I you people really like are. The, are the obscure ones. I know you this go week, out. I know you go out and search for them, and I help you a little as a bird dog. But can people send you if they're out at a game? Sure, but they uh, if they're at the park. Yep. Just, uh, just just tweet it to me before the you know before the game you know before because I usually do it during the fourth inning. Uh, so I need to see him early. I need to see him early. It's yep. at Rich Dubroff MLB, and you know this week. Uh, we had one of the most popular ever, uh, Anthony Telford, who was a uh, you know who was briefly an Oriole yep. in the uh, you know in the early nineties. Did he wear uh, fifty? Quite a, uh, he wore quite 50. A Number fifty. Yeah. Yep, yep. Some of us, Craig's like me. We remember the numbers. Right now, Craig would be much I, it's more. It's funny. I don't remember. It's funny. Uh, I don't remember the numbers very well. Yeah. Uh, I remember the players. Uh, but if you ask me right now, you know, what number did so-and-so wear, I might not, uh, you know, I might not get it, I might not get it right. You, you know, uh, it's Craig funny w- how, uh, how our minds work. Craig would be much more interested in this promotion if it was like wet jersey of the night, you know, and it well, would just yeah. involved women. Yeah, and a lot of rain delays. Right. Exactly. Uh, real quick, Anthony Telford is who you were talking about, but... I think Jay Gibbs, uh, Jay Tibbs, Tibbs wore, 50. wore fifty as well. No, you know I think Tibbs wore fifty three. I-, I can look that up. I can look that up. And I, you know, and that just kind of stuck in my head for who, whatever reason. Rich, who does it surprise you you haven't seen? Because I know you you really you know there's a few players out there that you say, wow, I'd really like to see some such and such. I'd like to see Ken Singleton. Yeah. I have never seen. For all his popularity, 
his, his excellence as an Oriole and his continued prominence as a, as a broadcaster who, uh, who lives in the, uh, you know, in the Baltimore area. I've never seen a Ken Singleton. Speaking of notoriety, I've never seen a Sidney Ponson one. Yep. Uh, and I know somebody, uh, somebody has, uh, has a jersey that uh, I haven't, uh, that, that they haven't worn to the ballpark yet, but it'll be a first. Mike Bodker. Yeah. So there's some uh, there's some interesting ones the fa- that uh, that you never see. But then you see you see wacky ones like Clay Dalrymple. Yep. That you never thought you'd see, or Clay Meredith. Uh, and uh, you know, people can go to the stores and and get them made up. Uh, yep. For for anybody, you know, it's not like you, you know, sometimes you walk into a you know, you walk into a store and you just say, oh, I want a Tom Needham fewer. You know, you know they're not going to have that one on the rack. You know, the uh, sto- like they would, uh, you know, uh, like they would a Manny Machado or Chris Davis. The story I love is the day that you had just chosen who you were going to have for that day's and you had left to do something. You went in the dining room or something and I clicked a picture on a guy wearing a number 16 Kelly jersey, okay? This guy was an African-American, I'm guessing about 60 years old, and built like an athlete. I'm almost positive it was Leroy Kelly wearing a Pat Kelly jersey, and they were half-brothers. Well, yeah. well yeah. he, uh, you know, Pat Kelly, obviously, I haven't uh, haven't had one of him, but, uh, that was you a know, great of one. that vintage, yeah. Uh, Whenever I get uh, Gary Renicky or John Lowenstein, that's uh, th- those are certainly popular. In fact, I- I've seen a couple walking together yep. wearing, uh, you know, w- wearing a uh, Renicky and uh, Renicky and Lowenstein. Right. And then on opening day, uh, I picked Hunsu Kim, and the woman who was wearing it, her name was Kim, and her husband said, "Well, even if they had bought it for it, said, well, even if they traded uh, <laughs> trade him, you know, you could still have your name on a jersey." Right. Hey, uh, by the way, uh, I did my homework there. Jay Tibbs, ironically, wore both numbers, 53 and 50, for the Baltimore Orioles. So it's interesting that and we I, remember and, that. And, I'll, and I'm looking for my first Jay Tibbs jersey. All right. Hey, Rich, thanks. Uh, many thanks. We didn't get back to the Orioles. But, again, you can tweet your jersey of the night. If you're coming out to the ball game at Camden Yards, tweet it out early to at Rich Dubroff MLB, and you could be wearing the jersey of the night. Rich, many thanks, and we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. I know you can't do the okay, show next pleasure. week. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Craig. All yep. right. One of the great lines ever was the uh, Pat Kelly, uh, you know, to, to Earl Weaver. Earl's blowing up in the dugout, and Kelly walks by him and says, you know, Earl, you really need to walk with the Lord. And Earl says, I'd rather you walk with the bases loaded. <laughs> Anyway, we are going to take our first time out of the uh, morning. When we get back, we're going to be joined by Adam Pohl, the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up, Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell. 
Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4 Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owings Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the ultimate man cave nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. are back on the uh, bat around Stan the fan and Craig heist and have we made our connection with our guest okay I'll take care of that okay yeah all right I mean you're over there for a reason but I mean I just you know yeah. we could hire a totem pole and pay right. him a little less money I, I know Adam. I I'm question. close with Adam I have a question for you a non-baseball yes, topic real yes. quick we were during the break we were throwing around different people in the draft and things of that nature in the NFL draft right 
How much do you actually pay attention over the four days? And, and I mean, other than round one where you know all your top names are going to go and where they go. I, I used to pay a lot more attention to mm-hmm. it, you know, when I sort of felt like it was my sports obligation to be up on this. I really, uh, the older I've gotten, once I got past about 60 and realized that my time on this planet is somewhat more limited, I really don't care. What are you trying to tell me something or what? Yeah, I just really don't care that much about knowing every obscure thing. Now, do I pay attention to the Ravens where they are? I was really kind of excited last night when I heard Orlando Brown was available. Then I heard the Ravens got him. That was kind of a feel-good moment, which was quickly ruined by taking the second tight end, um, you know, a, a pass-catching tight end, um, Mark Andrews, out of also out of Oklahoma. What What is this uh, team's problem with taking wide receivers or not taking them? I got to be honest. To be with fair, you. Andrews is a kind of a wide receiver in a tight end's body. Like oh, he, okay. doesn't, he doesn't really he doesn't really block. Good okay. enough. Okay, but you you agree though that they'll now spend infinite amount of time and energy trying to make them a blocking tight end. Yeah, that's my fear. Yeah. That's my fear. Yeah. Uh, I just, and I know Adam's waiting to talk to us, but to me, when I, and, and again, I don't I don't plead that I'm smarter than Joe Ortiz or Eric DeCosta or Ozzy, but my eyes tell me that DJ Moore is incredibly special because of who he, who he played in front of. You know, right. the different quarterbacks, the horrible quarterbacks. The fact that it was six or eight quarterbacks. And he winds up being Big Ten Player of the Year. And he's a great player and a great kid. I think the Ravens have a real Maryland problem. I think that Ozzie and Eric think that that's Class B football. And I think they blew it with Stephon Diggs, who they could have had from rounds one to four, didn't get him. Now he's a star. And I think they really missed it with this guy when they could have signed Ben Watson for one more year. You know, the Saints are a pretty good offensive team. They wanted him back for one more year. Right. I would have signed him and gotten D.J. Moore. Who's to say that Ben Watson wanted to come back to the Baltimore Ravens? Well, then I would have gotten somebody else. I would have gotten Jason Witten. But my reason, my I would have gotten Jason very, Witten. And very then he quickly before we, before we head to Adam yeah. real quick, the only reason I ask that question yeah. is because I have always been of the belief right. that it's – Three days of the most overhyped nonsense. No, no going. question about it. No question yeah. about it. Okay. Now, speaking of overhyped, yeah, the longtime play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox is here to overhype all the players that we're going to ask him about. Adam Pohl, how are you, Adam? Thank you, Sam. We got about eight Hall of Famers here on the Bay Sox <laughs> currently. Now, currently. hey, I got to oh. ask you one question: Why did you pick? Because I'm not a genius at figuring out how to promote who my guests are with their Twitter handles. So all morning long, I'm looking at, at Adam Pole at Adam Pole, and it turns out your Twitter is at Pole Adam. Is I that, know. Beca- is that because that. so many people you know, had I, Adam? I tried to be – there's more Adam Poles out there than you would think. I, so I was so I, shocked. I guess I didn't it. want to be Adam Pole 8 or something like right. that. So, so I just went – I just flipped it. All right. Well, I I found you, and I'm glad I was able to promote it. Hey, um, let's talk about a couple players that you've seen come through recently that are now kind of fixtures on the Baltimore Orioles, and then we'll go backwards 
and start talking about players uh, of even more recent vintage. Trey Mancini and Chance Cisco. Uh, Trey is pretty much, um, you know, he's he's a major leaguer. We know it. He's solid. He's there. He looks to be a fixture for the immediate future in Baltimore. Chance looks to be expanding his role in his first season. Tell us a little bit about both of these players and how you projected them two and three, four years ago when you saw them. You know, for me, Trey Mancini was the most interesting because he was an eighth-round draft choice. So when he came to three, uh, he had played very well in Cedric for about a month prior, but he was not projected really to even be a major league player. And uh, he really took off in his career with the Bay Sox. Uh, when he won the batting title in Bowie as a part of a championship team in 2015, uh, it was quite evident. I mean, you know, in 2014, the best hitter in the Eastern League was Mookie Betts. And, and here it was, Trey Mancini, in my mind, was the, was the most dynamic hitter in the Eastern League in 2015. And people were saying, well, maybe he'll be a major leaguer. And I'm like... Uh, you know, this is this is ridiculous. This guy is hitting the ball everywhere, and I think that Mancini's game plays very well offensively in this uh, era of shifting because uh, he hits the ball extremely hard. Number one, and then number two, he eats the ball all over the field. So with that, uh, you can't just kind of take away hits by placing fielders in a certain spot, and now he's got nowhere to go. So I think I think he's got a game that will transfer a long time as far as success offensively at the major league level. And he's a little bit of an awkward player, uh, but, but obviously I think that if he played at first base defensively, he'd be a good uh, defensive first baseman as he was in Bowie. And long-term, you know, that might be the spot where he is uh, in Baltimore. If you look even now two or three years, uh, down the road. And, and for Cisco, Cisco was very young. I mean, if you make it to double A at the age of 20, that's saying something right there. And that's what Chance Cisco did. Uh, and the thing that really stands out to me, I always thought he was kind of a little bit more like a Nick Markakis type hitter, a doubles hitter, a line drive hitter, really hit the ball the other way a lot. Uh, has a very good grasp of the strike zone, which is something Orioles fans will love uh, with the not too many guys that are on base guys. I mean, Cisco, this, the average age player in double-A is 24 years old, and he led double-A in the Eastern League in 2016 in on-base percentage uh, at the age of 21. I mean, that's outstanding. So he's the guy that's going to get on base, and obviously the big questions about Cisco are still in the air. Can he continue to get better? He really has. Can he continue to develop to become uh, like a league-average-level defensive catcher? If he does that, he's going to be a dynamic uh, ball player for the Orioles. Let me step back to Mancini for one second. Uh, uh, Steve Ginsburg did a really good piece on uh, cover story on Trey for us for April. And uh, Terry Crowley is quoted in the beginning of the article. How much of a role do you, do you give? Look, the player deserves all the credit at the end of the day, but teaching does help. Do you credit Terry Crowley with helping this guy? Yeah, I, I credit. I, I think there's a lot of guys. Keith Bodie was our hitting coach. Uh, he's our hitting coach now. He was the Frederick manager the last few years. He was big, and uh, but I know that uh, Trey Mancini himself has talked about an adjustment that he made working with Brady Anderson, okay. uh, which was in spring training of 2015. You know, Mancini. If you look back at his numbers, he didn't hit many home runs in Delmarva. He's a big, powerful guy. And uh, he was not getting uh, the proverbial launch angle for a very 
2018 baseball term. He wasn't he wasn't hitting the ball in the air at all uh, or enough, and he made some tweaks. And all of a sudden, obviously, not only was the guy hitting for average, I mean, he, he hit better than 350 in Bowie, which was remarkable, but, but also for power. So, um, so it's, I think there's a lot of people, Mancini's, you know, what the minor leagues are all about, which is uh, everybody gets thrown in. Mancini was not a top-ranked prospect. And, uh, and all of a sudden, this eighth-rounder, uh, you know, becomes really the, the, the best player in your organization. Adam, why do you think it has become the norm uh, in, in baseball that the jump to the major leagues for players comes from the double-A level? And this, I think, has pretty much been the case for the last at least five years five that I know of. Yeah. yeah, undoubtedly. I, I think that's, uh, well, you know, the trend is there everywhere, but really the Orioles take it to another degree. When Buck Showalter came to Baltimore, and um, a lot of uh, at that time I was working with the Frederick Keys, and a lot of our former Keys, like Pedro Florimon and and Kyle Hudson and uh, and um, Matt Angle got promoted to the Orioles uh, in September when the Orioles were down that you know those years prior to 2012, and I just feel like Buck Showalter felt. Uh, that either he likes more veteran ball players. There's no doubt about that. Um, and he felt like he wanted guys that were more ready for the major leagues in AAA for short stints. So therefore, if a guy gets hurt, uh, he's going to be out for a week or two as scope, you know, is right now. You're not going to bring up a young ball player that's never played in the major leagues before. You're going to bring up uh, kind of a veteran and mm-hmm. what we call in the industry, you know, the four A guy, you know, the yep. guy that's Good enough to be, you know, better than AAA, but not good enough for the major leagues. So uh, the Orioles have more, they sign more minor league free agents uh, than just about anyone. And the minor league free agents they sign are largely AAA players. And therefore, it does push uh, the prospects to spend more time in Bowie uh, at the AA level than many other organizations have. So in most organizations, as an example, this year, Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins, they would be at AAA. Uh, but here in the Orioles system, they're, they're here at AA. Not saying they won't play AAA baseball, but if they do, they'll probably be briefly. And, uh, and with that, um, this is kind of the, the hub of the prospects. So that's why many people feel that AA baseball is the best level of minor league baseball because the prospects stay at AA uh, longer everywhere, but especially in the oil system. We're talking with Adam Pohl, play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox. At Pohl, P-O-H-L, Adam is his Twitter handle. Let me ask you this, and that's, you know, this this organization over the last 10, 15 years has always been absolutely blasted about its minor league uh, organization and the players in it. Uh, and and their possibility of becoming successful at the major league level. That, to me, and we have Steve Molesky on the show from time to time, that, to me, has really started to turn the corner probably about two years ago, and and more and more people nationally are recognizing that maybe this, this organization at the minor league level isn't as bad as people think it is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, the Orioles minor league system uh, has been underrated my entire time in, in the organization. 
uh, which is now 12 years. Um, and, and, and I don't work for the oils. I mean, I'm an oil guy, though. Yeah, I grew up a big oil fan. But, but, um, but, but, but with that being said, I think a lot of that goes back to the late 90s and the failed rebuild. Uh, after they kind of broke down the great 1997 team, they had all those top picks in 1999. Even Brian Roberts did come from that. They had a lot of busts. And it was really a bygone era. If you're looking at the reality of what is the Orioles minor league system right now, there is one major angle that you can pick on that is a reason why the Orioles do not have a top-of-the-line farm system. That's, interna- not- that's international, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. not, you know, some people say, oh, they can't develop pitching prospects. That, that's, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. I mean, uh, you look at it now, obviously, Dylan Bundy's there. Uh, you got Kevin Gossett. They, they, they have a depth right now as well. I think the Orioles have really drafted well uh, overall in the last four or five years. There's a depth of players through the draft that are reaching the major leagues. Uh, even from the low rounds, and you look at guys like, you know, Jimmy Yacobonis was a 13th-round pick. I mean, Donnie Hart was a 25th-round pick. So, but, but the, the international is the issue. I mean, uh, one-third of the game of baseball now, just for that, are Latin players, and the Orioles don't do it. I mean, they don't spend any money. Uh, they're not just 30th. I mean, they're not even close to 29th in spending on uh, what our teenage uh, international prospects. So you look at our double-A team in Bowie right now, and we've got a lot of Latin players on our team. Uh, we have uh, you know, guys like Eric Salcedo, our shortstop. Well, he was signed by the Angels. Adeline Rodriguez, our first baseman, he was signed originally by the Mets. So when we go down the list like this, the teams are not giving up their top prospects in trades in the minor leagues and such. So the top Latin players are going to other organizations. Uh, even a guy like Jonathan Scope, who's from Curacao, he was not signed for big money, so he was kind of a diamond in the rough for the Orioles. And uh, if the Orioles are going to become a team, uh, it, let's say that they do go into a rebuild in the next year or two, if, if, if they're going to have a major rebuild long-term, that's the next step. But, of course, it takes a long time because Latin players are signed largely when they're 16 years old. So it would take five or six years to bear the fruits of it uh, if they start playing in that market. You know, uh, we had Ben Badler on about a year ago, and and when you really look at organizationally, just the one thing he suggested, he said, look, I can understand when you have limited resources, but if they Mm -hmm. would just toss a a pittance, and a pittance is about $5 million, they could probably add 20 Latin arms to the organization every year. And he emphasized that figure because he said for the, for the price of a fringe major league player, you know, or a little above that, they could be adding like 20, 15 to 20 arms every year. Of those 15 to 20 arms, five or 10 are going to probably get hurt Six of them aren't going to be any good, but every year you might get two or three diamonds, you know. Well, well the, the, yeah, the biggest thing is obviously uh, what you need to have is young major league talent. That's the way the Orioles are going to win long term is not that they're going to go and outspend people. Uh, they're probably uh, in the current setup going to have a tough time in retaining uh, some of their talent. Uh, when, when guys get uh, to the time where they can't be free agents. So you have to have a wealth of young prospects that are coming up. And you've got to have one-third to half of your team playing uh, on low-wage, in baseball terms, uh, contracts. 
so you need those guys to be very productive. That's the way that you're able to win. And um, so, so in my mind, I completely agree uh, that uh, everybody's playing this game. It's not that all the top Latin prospects are going to the biggest teams. I and mean, I'm just thinking, like the number one Latin signing. Uh, seven or eight years ago was Miguel Sano. Right. He went to the Twins for one or two million, and and look, he's an everyday player. So um, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if down the road uh, that changes. But uh, at this point, it's not. Uh, it's just not the case. Well, and and this guy who grew up as an Oriole fan, and you see how the games evolved, and you see how uh, the selection of these Latin American ball players have become such a big norm in the game. It befuddles me that the Orioles take this approach to to, to, to this and not wanting to spend the money uh, to just even put their foot in the water. You know, the the real problem is that they so, they so set up their organization in such a way that they don't intend to because they have so few international scouts. Yeah. Well, day, well, that's the, the biggest thing. The other day, thing. Dubroff and I were going over it, and I think the Indians were in town, and they've got Ramirez mm-hmm. – they, they had, like, three or four Latin players on the field and were going. And we looked, and they had, like, nine or ten international scouts, six in in Latin America. The Orioles had three. Actually, the Indians had, like, about 16 international scouts, nine in the Latin America. The Orioles had three international scouts, one or two, that do something in Latin America. And, and you and I talk to scouts all the time who, yeah. are, who are basically there to cover – the Orioles and also sometimes the Nationals because they're mm-hmm. in both ballparks and they'll tell you the same thing that they're just befuddled at the fact that the Orioles do not spend money in the international market. Well, I think that will change now. Adam Pohl is our guest. Adam didn't want to get away. Uh, we got about another four or five minutes with you. Didn't sure. want to get away before we talk about. I know you, uh, Austin Hayes and Cedric Mullins are down there uh, at Bowie and Hunter Harvey is there. It, can fans that want to see Hunter Harvey, who could come fairly quickly, uh, they have some opportunities to do that at Bowie, right? Yeah, actually, you, you never know with uh, with how everything will play, but Harvey is starting every sixth day. So right now, he pitched last night. He was dynamic, and uh, it was by far his best outing of the year so far. And Harvey will, uh, he's lined up to start left in Bowie on Thursday night against Akron, uh, where we are right now, the Indians affiliate. But uh, he's a top-of-the-line guy as far as his stuff. Um, you know, he's got top-of-the-rotation type of stuff. Uh, he needs to pitch. Uh, he has not thrown many minor beginnings. Um, you know, there's a reason why the minors exist once again. Uh, he's got to get polished up. But, um, but, boy, last night he went four innings, struck out six, a lot two hits, no runs, really finished strong. Uh, showed a pretty good changeup. Um, had a you know had his breaking ball working a little bit, but but it really his fastball is what stands out. He's got an outstanding easy fastball. He was very quickly. In fact, sometimes I I feel like uh, last time he was working too quickly because he's really fired up. You can tell he's so excited to be back on the mound after from 30 innings. Uh, in a span of three years due to injury. So really, really excited. Orioles fans should be pumped about what Harvey could become. Tell me a little bit about those guys starting rotation down below you by two notches at Delmarva. You told me the other day that that's really where the real haul is. Uh, yeah, I, in my time in the Orioles organization, there's, there's never been a Delmarva team like this. I, you know, they, 
it probably won't stay together all that long. But but uh, the Orioles have, if you look at the draft in 2016, they took almost all collegiate pitchers. In 2017, it was a little bit more of a of a mix, but they did a lot of pitching. And it could be all in the first round. Uh, then in the second round supplemental, they took a pitcher, Zach Lowder, who's had an incredible start. The highest drafted player from Xavier ever. A left-hander who's striking out uh, one and a half to two in inning right now. And then in the third round, they took a, a pitcher named Michael Bauman, who's had a really good start as well. Um, there, there's a guy, Brennan Hannafee, who was a fourth-rounder from two years ago, but a high school pick, so he's even younger. And he's in the starting rotation uh, for uh, for Delmarva. So Delmarva, if you look at it, they've got a guy named Cameron Bishop. That's another name you always give big money to in the late rounds. So uh, they have a six-man rotation. And if you go to a shoulder game, you're going to see a big prospect every night starting. I mean, it, it's really remarkable in a six-man rotation. There's so much depth there. And then when you look up even towards Frederick in, uh, in advance day, you got Alex Wells, who was the Orioles' minor league pitcher of the year last year. So uh, the Orioles probably have more depth in pitching in the lower levels of the minors uh, than they've had in a long, long time. All right. We appreciate it, Adam. A great deal. We're going to leave Cedric Mullins and Austin Hayes for another time. Uh, <laughs> but, we, but, but But we get the picture that the Oriole organization, while not probably in the top tier, it's really moved into at least middle of the pack and given Oriole fans some cause for optimism that down below there's a lot of different options. Undoubtedly, it, there's probably not the star power like a Manny Machado or such, but, uh, you know, like in years past. But, but the, right now in the Orioles minor leagues, there's probably more major league players uh, than in any time in which I've been in the system in the yep. last decade. All right. Adam Pohl, again, it's at Pohl, P-O-H-L, Adam, and you can follow him on Twitter, the play-by-play voice of the Bowie Bay Sox and somebody who really knows this organization. Adam, many thanks. Thank you, guys. All right. There you have it. Adam Pohl. And at Salisbury, the Delmarva angle. Yeah. Uh, if, if you're a baseball fan, get down there because it's a great place to see a game. And the, the one thing that I heard even before this season started was how loaded they were going to be. All right. Well, let me just tell you, if you're on your way down to Delmarva to see the uh, Orioles Farm Club down there, the Shorebirds, there's a great little place uh, that all baseball fans and all sports fans should know about. It's called Big Bats Cafe, located at 216 St. Clair Place in Stevensville, Maryland. It is Ken Island's original sports bar. Steve Garland, the owner, has created a little piece of baseball heaven. All the furniture there, the the kind of tables have laminated baseball cards under them. The the uh, chairs are are kind of the the bar stools are made of bats and bases. It's a great place, great sports ambiance, great place to watch O's. Well, not the Wizards anymore, but the Caps yeah. and the Nats uh, and some NCAA lacrosse. Again, it's Ken Island's original sports bar for the best burgers, sandwiches, soups, and salads. Think Big Bats Cafe. Uh, Joining us right now is an old friend. He was actually a professor of mine at UMBC. So we have some. And that explains a whole lot. We have some retriever blood flowing through us. Uh, That is Lee Lowenfist, baseball author and teacher extraordinaire. Lee, how are you? Well, my cat's hanging in there, and I'm, I'm, my cold is better. I can go to see 
some of my alma mater later today, uh, Columbia and Penn, and a big uh, battle. And I, I hope you like this uh, uh, thing I sent you last night about this uh, Jace Peterson or, or new Billy Smith. That's You know, the last two nights, boy, uh, you talk about good news and bad news, you know, those steals the third. Yep. Wait, and then the, the bad news is that uh, Chris Davis has become Glenn Davis. <laughs> Well, then, you know, there, there's a lot there to be said that. for that. Yeah. yeah, but Chris Tillman became Chris Tillman last night for at least I know. Night. I mean, you know, I guess he's got a pretty good uh, record against the Tigers. But yes, he does. I, I, you know, he, he's important. I mean, I, uh, I, and he's got such a poker face that it, it's hard to know. I don't think I've ever seen him express anything on the mound. But uh, did you hear the story that I that Scully told? on a national broadcast about Tillman grew up in Anaheim near a golf course. No. And it, his parents never worried about him when he was a teenager because they knew on a Saturday night he'd be, he'd be sneaking over to the golf course and, 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 and playing golf. For, so, you know, he's... I did uh, not hear uh, he, that story, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, as I say, he's got a... Yeah, you, you do root for a guy like that because, he, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't pout. And uh, and you you hope he can come back. And of course, one game doesn't make a season or a comeback, but it was certainly encouraging. He no, actually but- he actually looked good his previous start until Buck got a tiny bit greedy. I think when you got a guy with an ERA of like nine, and you get five innings and he's allowed two runs, you say, "Hey, let's keep this game close." He had him come out for the sixth, and he gave up two solo home runs, and suddenly it didn't look as good but it was a real good outing against a Cleveland club that sent six left-handed hitters against them. Of course, Cleveland has started very slow offensively, and yeah. I I think that I remember Bosman, when he coached Messina, you know, talked about the modern player is uh, the modern pitcher doesn't really want to go more than seven. and But I think that should be the target, and and I have a feeling if – yeah, this is milk, milk. But if if 120 were the goal for most starters nowadays, instead of 100, yeah, you might see quicker games, and you might see the return of some good starters. But if you make 100, the 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 point when you're supposedly getting tired, well, what what we see is guys throwing 20 pitches an inning or more, and. Right. Uh, and and you know that to me is one of the big reasons the games are so slow. There's so many pitching changes. Well, you know, I got to be honest with you. I cover a team down the road in the Nationals where three of the five guys in that rotation you have to literally pry the ball out of their hands. Max Scherzer being the one at the top of the list. Uh, and and there's a lot to be said for that in terms of having a guy that wants to go out there and and he's not worried about a hundred pitch count. You know, he can go 120, that kind of thing. And Max certainly does that. Strasburg does it. And Tanner Roark will do it as well. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When you start talking pitch count to me, you hit on the real problem that I see in the game, and I really mean this. I'm a big fan of the umpires. I think they work tremendously hard. I think they have a great deal of integrity. Uh, But the balls and strike differential from umpire A to umpire D – or D to F, or F to T, is so different, I think it really is something that causes the game to be slowed down tremendously. And but, I think, but you, yeah, go but ahead. You, 
I, I understand your point, but, you know, I think the other factor now is they're being graded by Quest Tech or whatever they call that computer mm-hmm. situation. Right. And a lot of times uh, Quest Tech disagrees with what a lot of the umpires do. So that's an added pressure that they're Well, see, that, that's, that where, under. that's where I move toward. I want, I want the technology is there. They're close enough that they could do it. I think we should get to electronic balls and strikes. Not do away with the home plate umpire. You need them there to call box. You need them there to call plays at the plate and and different things. Uh, but balls and strikes, I think, should become electronic. I think it it adds an um, when a pitcher when an umpire misses a Kevin Gausman strike three in the second inning with two outs, and he ends up having to throw twenty more pitches because of that. I don't see how the game is enhanced. Well, I think you've swallowed the Eric Burns Kool-Aid. Yeah. Is that right? Well, I, I don't know about Eric Burns' theory on this or not, but I've been no, pushing he's it. No, he's been pushing this for a long I, time. I am a big fan of the electronic eye for balls and strikes. I well, From night to night, I think, I think you know, pitching is such an exact science, you know, that, that the pitchers are trying to work on their mechanics to, to know how to throw a repeat delivery and throw a strike when they need a strike and, and to have an umpire screw it up. It's, it's like sitting at a blackjack table and doing, you know, you sit there and you get certain people next to you that don't do the right thing. You lost and, money again, yeah, didn't I did. you? Yeah, 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 yeah. I wanted to know. Right. Hey, Lee, tell us yeah. a little bit about your – you've written about six or seven books on a game of baseball from the Imperfect Diamond, the first – really serious look at the labor situation. That book was written, what, 35 years ago? Yeah, it came out in 1980. And uh, my collaborator at the time, Tony Lupian, who had had a a legal case against the the, uh, owners for losing his job during the Veterans uh, uh, after World War II because the Veterans Act baseball said didn't apply to to baseball. Uh, And it's been in three editions. And, you know, the joke I always have told is that uh, the satirist Mort Saul said that that Nixon's six crises should have come out in a loose-leaf edition so you could just add the crises. <laughs> well, this is the same thing because, you know, the uh, smart people who comment on the game, like, you know, Tim Kurgeon is talking about the next uh, uh, work stoppage is going to be the mother of all work stoppages. Yeah. But, but it's three years away, so... Uh, and, you know, the, the, the players would to the cleaners this time. There's no doubt about it. But well, I don't want to talk about the labor thing. I just was trying to date the book came out in the 80s. You've written a book uh, called The Art of Pitching with Tom Seaver. You've written a book with uh, baseball trainers. And you've done the Branch Rickey book. Uh, um, what was the title of that? The Gentleman. Baseball's Ferocious Gentleman. For- ferocious Gentleman. But you've got a new book that you're just starting to put together called Are We Allowed to Talk About It? In- yeah, well, I mean, the working title is Endangered Species because I, over the years, and especially heightened by my my work on Branch Rickey, who owes so much of his success to his scouts, you know, I I want to tell the story of, of how the scouts, who are often called, you know, the backbone of an organization, but one of the late scouts said, uh, well, maybe we're treated a little bit lower than the backbone. Uh, their stories uh, need to be told. I mean, it hasn't been told thoroughly since the great book of the mid-'80s, 
from a University of Delaware professor, Kevin Corain, called Dollar Sign on the Muscle. And, of course, that's another branch Ricky phrase. And Ricky came to success when it was a total reserve system. Now it's flipped. But a scout still has to go out there and judge an amateur uh, by what he is and, and, more important, what he will be. And it, it, to me, it's a great, if complicated, story. So I've been talking to a lot of the older scouts, and, uh, and it's what's sad is that a lot of teams uh, are just laying off the older scouts thinking they can actually scout by video and, and advance metrics. And I think most scouts who've been in the field say, metrics for a high school player and even a lot of colleges really mean nothing because right. the competition is so different. But how, So they go to tools and, and, and how tools become skills is the, is the secret uh, to scouting. And I hope to divulge some of those secrets. Like I think they'll all say that projection is, is the hardest thing. I mean, what is this 19-year-old who has a quick bat what will he do when he's 22 against pitchers who are very sophisticated? So that that is the gist of what I'm trying to do. You know, I found it an unbelievable statement, and the timing was unbelievable. Is like around September 10th last year, the Houston Astros, who were on their way to a World's Championship, chose that time to basically either dismiss a handful of scouts or, or several scouts or cut them back uh, almost half time. Uh, you know who I'm talking about, some of the people like our friend well, Hank Well, Allen. Bobby Heck, the scouting director, had been laid off even earlier. Yeah. And, and Heck and the men on, under him were the ones who, who signed Altuve. Right. They signed Korea. In fact, it was a stroke of, uh, of great uh, of scouting that Korea, who was not really listed as the top player in the draft, uh, the amateur draft a couple of years ago, became that man, and, and he's now a, a, a cornerstone of that team. And, of course, Altuve, the story is that he, they cut him at a tryout camp twice, but he wouldn't leave. That's unbelievable. And, yeah. So it's um, uh, it, 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 And Houston's not the only one. That, that has laid off scouts, but it's really, it, it's very sad because uh, there's so much institutional uh, memory and knowledge that just gets thrown out, thrown out the window when, when, you know, when you lay off people like that. We're talking with Lee Lowenfish, longtime professor and a longtime baseball fan, Oriole fan, and also a great baseball author. Uh, Lee, I want to talk to you a little bit about the uh, commissioner, um, Rob Manfred, uh, his push to speed up games, uh, has, first of all, his efforts, uh, were they timed correctly, you think? Speaking of timing. Well, not really. I mean, I, to me, it's, it's pretty transparent what, what he's after and what, what his mentor, Bud Selig, was after earlier. The TV networks, like, uh, like sports, but they like sports with a finite end, and and baseball is uh, is not is it's infinite, right? And, and that's a big that's a big issue, and so they've put in a clock in the minors. They've also put in this nonsensical thing about no more extra inning games 
but uh, but have a runner at second to start the tenth inning, and they're going to try to put that into the majors. Uh, they're going to have a hard time doing both, frankly. Yeah. I mean, what I said earlier, uh, and maybe I should say it more often because you know the uh, sometimes if you say the impossible enough, it becomes possible. Well, I'm kind Why of... not make you know starting pitchers challenge them to throw 120 instead of 100, and and not. Uh, and and not have all these pitching changes. Now, of course, what's happening instead is they're going five and six at the most, and now we're developing this uh, Andrew Miller phenomenon, and that may be the hater phenomenon, and I don't get me started on how we let him get away. Uh, Maryland boy, no less. Yep. Uh, the, where the reliever will come in and pitch two or three innings because, you know, you know the closer, anyone can close. Right. So... Uh, so, but I, I don't like the way they're trying to force this through and not admitting that it's TV that is that is is the big issue. Take me back to the Goose Gossage days, right? You know, yeah, uh, three innings and 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 you know, here's a guy that went out there and mowed people down for three innings. You know, but Rob Manfred is a pretty smart negotiator. I think the I think the 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 extra inning runner on second base thing is just out there as as you know, in other words, if you ask for three things, if you get one or two, you, you're happy. And I think that's out there intentionally, knowing that that'll never go through. But that okay, we'll give in on that. I, I don't really think they feel that that's a legitimate way to end a baseball well, contest. You wouldn't, you wouldn't think so, but yeah. by God, there's enough play out there for it. And I'm sorry, I'm kind of a black white guy uh, when it comes to this stuff. Leave the game alone. This guy is going to do to the baseball what Roger Goodell is slowly doing to the NFL. Well, you know, one thing I'd like to talk to scouts and will talk to scouts about is whether the concern about life expectancy in football will turn some potential football players into baseball players. Because, yeah. I mean, if, if you yeah. understand baseball, there is enough competitiveness and and down and dirty activities that you know that can fulfill that lust of yours, but you're much more likely to have a full life that's a, that's than a great, if you play football. That's a great, a great point, and a full life and a a life where you can be physically fit and able to you know do normal activities such as right. walk, walk or jog or you know help your wife do the chores at the house. Well, let's not get yeah, out of hand here, okay? Hand. All right, our guest is Lee Lowenfish. Lee, um, one of the other things that's come up lately, um, baseball's, um, I think they're on the right track with trying to build in more off days during the regular season, but I think they, the idea that they put forth this year by starting the season six days earlier uh, was kind of nonsense, and it just exacerbated a tough problem they've got with weather. What about the idea that Anthony Rizzo just put out there of, hey, we play too much baseball. Now, we know that they're not going to drop. Jason Stark wrote a great piece in The Athletic the other day. They're not dropping down to 120 or 140. But legitimately, they have begun to discuss 158 games or 154 games. And one of the things that he put in his article was the advent of returning to real double headers as a means to play, build up the number of games and have teams play six or eight 
real double headers. What do you think of that notion? Well, I've been pushing for a 154-game schedule since I started writing about baseball 40 years ago. Well, I, mean, I think you're about they, to get it. I do. Well, you know, they, but you see, one of the reasons I'm not very optimistic something's going to happen is that uh, Manford has not exactly shown a even-handed temperament. You know, when when the when the 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 uh, that whole bunch of players were not signed, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the people who were or signed late, like, you know, Cobb and Lance Lynn, uh, Man, Manfred said publicly, you know, it, it just shows the owners are getting smarter uh, and that they're not swayed by somebody coming in with a, a, a shiny, loose-leaf presentation, which, of course, was a unnamed shot at Scott Boris. Right. So that, that wasn't exactly a commissioner like he also when this thing we're talking about uh a shorter schedule uh said that he uh came up he said well the players will have to take less money i mean <laughs> well what about the owners and the tv you know so uh, but i think i really uh, the other problem and uh, and you know you don't know what a legal uh decision will be what the unintended consequence is going to be until until it happens the, the season started so early, and the minor league season started, what, 10 days later, that a, a start as horrible as the Orioles and the Royals and the White Sox might have been a little less horrible if the minor leaguers were in shape, and we could have seen a Mullins come up for the Orioles or other you know uh, uh, fellows come up from Kansas City or Chicago, but those, their, their season started 10 days later. So I, but but I'm all for a hundred and fifty-four game schedule or less. About the doubleheaders, maybe some. I mean, I'm kind of with Earl Weaver, who hated doubleheaders because right. they were usually split. And who wants to go to a game? Who wants to play games and come home? You know, with that half-empty feeling. Yeah, but I'll tell you what, man. I when I was a kid, I would go to doubleheaders with my I grandparents. And you have twenty twenty-five minutes, but in between games. And uh, two for the price of one. You could not have a better day in your life listen, than going to a doubleheader. Listen, well, you know, I listen. Here's my compromise. Why not come back to what I grew up with in the '40s and '50s? Doubleheaders on Memorial Day, which uh, yeah, uh, yeah, July Fourth, July and Labor, and Labor Day. Yeah. I'm I'm all for that. I would throw three more in though. Uh, yeah. And and listen, I understand the economics. It's pretty tough for if you're the Yankees, the Mets, the Cubs. To give up actual, if you're moving to 154 games, you're you're giving up about four dates right away. Uh, let's see, that's six and eight. That would be four dates. Then if you make real double headers, you're giving up a few more. I understand that certain teams can't really do that, and those teams I would allow to have day night double headers. But the Orioles, when they're into a um, a mode of attendance being what it is here. We could have real doubleheaders, and we got one coming up May the twelfth on a Saturday. And I would urge a lot of Oriole fans to get out there, two for the price of one on May the twelfth against Tampa, starting at three oh five, I believe. I and, think yeah. so. Yep, yep, yep. Lee, um, that's about all we have for you. Uh, the Orioles. Uh, let's end with one question on the O's. Uh, we know they're not going to win the division this year. But uh, can they get back 
How important is it for this team, which closed at four and nineteen last year and started six and nineteen this year? How important is it for them to to build back up to a respectable record this year? Well, it's important. Well, we'll see what the rotation brings. I mean, I think that uh, Bundy had what we hope was a hiccup the other night. I mean, the Rays beat the or what won seven or eight in a row now, and they beat the Red Sox in Fenway last night. Yep. So, so. Uh, it all depends on 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 how steady the the rotation is, and whether you know Zach Britton rec- comes to anything uh, back to his form, which I have doubts. But I certainly, I certainly wish him well. I saw his brother Buck manage Delmarva last week, and Delmarva is is leading the division and looking like they've got some arms coming along, as well as uh, Dale Jarrett's son. Zach, who had a walk-off in the day game the other day. So, you know, there's some hope, hope down the, the road, but certainly they, what, what they need is consistent pitching and, and the life that, that Peterson gave them and, you know, others to, you know, to, to show that because, you know, it's a flawed team with all that reliance on, on home runs. And I, yeah. I also hope, and I uh, cross fingers, I've, I've always liked Trumbo, and uh, Trumbo evidently fell in love with Lodge Angle last year. And right. now this year, he's maybe going back to what was successful earlier in his career. So uh, 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 that would be nice. And then I, I don't know what you do with Chris Davis. I really yeah. don't. But, you know, the, you, you certainly, right now, they sure don't look like a very good team. But uh, right. if they get the pitching and some speed in defense, you know, we know that about baseball. That will keep you in the game. Hey, thank you for fitting us in between your cat's visit to the uh, vet and your trip out to Columbia. All right? I, it's always a pleasure. And, you know, we'll we'll talk down the road for sure. All right. Hey, uh, the Mets and the Orioles play at City Field. I think I'll I'm be coming, there. I think I'm I'll coming up. There. I'll talk to you about it, okay? Okay. All right. right. There you go. Lilo and Fish. Um, we're going to make our way to to take a timeout now, right? We've got to get a timeout in here, and then we'll be joined by Steve Stewart on the other side of these messages. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit give to goodwill.org. 
When I think about things that have over-delivered in my life, I think about blueberry pie Oreos, I think about the first Kingsman movie, and now I think about hammer and nails in the Owens Mills Metro Center. My first trip to the Ultimate Man Cave Nirvana blew me away. When I got there, I went to the back room. Oh, this is where the magic happens. I got my first ever manicure and pedicure treatment. It was so relaxing. I understand why a lot of guys actually fall asleep back there. The seat was custom crafted for my comfort. I had a flat screen in front of me with noise-canceling headphones so I could watch whatever game I wanted to, and I was even sipping on a nice adult beverage. Then I went out and Tracy hooked me up with a really stylish haircut. She took care of me with the shampoo treatment, the hot steam towel. You can even get the close edge razor shave all at Hammer and Nails Owings Mills. Memberships are available. They make a great gift. On Mondays, you can rent out Hammer and Nails for your corporate event. Trust me when I tell you, this is an experience all guys must have. Hammer and Nails, grooming shop for guys, now open in the Owings Mills Metro Center. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone go listen to second 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336 instead of us telling you why we're awesome let's have other people tell you why we're awesome this person says definitely a bunch of oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets section 336 is the greatest baltimore orioles podcast around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky, they might even talk about the Ravens. Josh, Matt, and Bert are a must-listen every week. Check Section 336 out for yourself on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. WWE Ringsider presents SmackDown Live at Royal Farms Arena, Tuesday night, May 8th. Tickets available now at the box office and Ticketmaster. Hey, it's Glenn, and you might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Java now. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out, Glenn Clark, Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He's Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. And welcome back to the Bat Around. Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan Charles, Kyle Ottenheimer. Just move up to the mic real quick. How's it going? How's it going, Craig? See, it's that voice. It's the voice of God from above. So, anyway. uh, We're back, and we're trying to uh, connect with Steve Stork, but the Orioles and Tigers uh, again tonight from Camden Yards. And uh, if the Orioles can get on a little bit of a roll here, Stan, and I know they've dug themselves a deep hole. I think they're going to win 15 in a row. Really? Yeah. Well, I don't know whether they'll win 15 in a row. but what How about you, two? Well, here's what about you need. two in a row? You start with two, but if you look at it and project and say, and I, and I know players and managers say it's one game at a time, which right. it is, but you reel off 10 out of 12, or if you 
you know, run through a streak of 15 out of, say, well, 25, listen, listen, then you look up and your record's marketably better. And we were, I was just reading something from Rock Kabatko uh, today that says that the Orioles aren't ready to start tearing this team down. And Dan Duquette says that they'll reevaluate around Memorial Day and see where they are. And that's right about, that's one of the... Yeah, that's one of the landmark dates. Right. Listen, I didn't expect them to suddenly rush to trade Manny Machado any day now. Yeah. So... Um, yeah, so... It, it'll be interesting to see what happens. But again, I, I like what Lee was talking about. And y- you have some consistent pitching, which I don't think anybody really thought when the season started, even with the acquisitions of Kashner and Cobb, that this pitching staff to this point was going to be, and it's not been great, but as good as it has been, it's been the offense that's let this team down. Yeah, but realistically, when you looked at the schedule at the beginning of the year that the Major League Baseball gave the Orioles, they had 17 of their first 24 games. They had, I think, one rainout in there in Boston. 17 of the first 24 were against the five teams that played in the uh, – Five teams that were playing in the in the major leagues. Yeah, try them again. Uh, the five teams that, that made the playoffs last year. Right. Um, this is now the part of the schedule, and frankly, it's shocked me that Tampa came in here and manhandled us for two. Oh, and uh, they've but been this, hot. But this is the teams. Detroit, the Angels are not so much one of those teams, but the um, Oakland, then we have Kansas City, then we have Tampa. That's about May 15th, roughly. Mm-hmm. By that point in time, I think we know whether we got a dead shark on our hands or we're still moving in the water. Or whether the light is at the end of the tunnel and it's coming from a moving train. Well, speaking of doubleheaders, I know that our, uh, our expected guest, Steve Stewart, is preparing out in Kansas City for a doubleheader, but I texted him about an hour ago telling him when we were going to call, and he got back to me and said, okay. So I can only think maybe he was doing the manager's corner and Ned Yost said, hey, come on in now. So Any we'll number see. of things, sure. Any number of things could happen. Or he just wanted to – he remembered Craig yeah, Heist's right. name and said, screw Craig Heist. Well, well, twist twist the knife one more time from yeah. 2014. Yeah. Shoei Otani, who uh, we were talking about earlier. Shoei? Shohei. Shohei. Well – Oh, you can you can correct me on a Danny Echeverria and Jake Odorizzi, but I can't I've say heard I've say never that. heard a, I've never heard anybody call him Shoei. Shoei Atani, and I've never heard him called what you just called him. Anyway, sprained ankle as Kyle uh, reported. No, put your hand down. <laughs> sprained an ankle. Me hanging. And and this is Craig Heist's last show. Well, for Fresh Fox. see you later. We'll we'll, we'll do this early now. <laughs> Uh, and the day-to-day, he is day-to-day because he is supposed to start against the Orioles on Tuesday. Aren't we all day-to-day? Yes, we are. No matter how our names are pronounced? Yes. All right. Um, so, anyway, the Orioles have uh, tonight's game, 7:05. Andrew Kashner against Francisco Liriano. Tomorrow is Daniel Norris against Kevin Gosman. And speaking of bad trades – Boy, the Tigers, when they traded uh, David Price to Toronto for their stretch run that year, what was it, in uh, 19, uh, 2014 14, or fi- yeah. 15? Uh, well, 15. no, 14. It, it was, was 15. 15. Yeah, because so it was 15. They got back Matthew Boyd, 
and Daniel Norris, mm-hmm. and they didn't really get much in that deal. Didn't really get much. I'll tell you what Norris did uh, has uh, turned himself into a closer, and that's Bud Norris. Oh, Bud Norris, yeah. yeah speaking and of the uh, Bud Man. Speaking of the Bud Man, uh, interesting what he has been able to do and kind of uh, you know reinventing himself because uh, here's a guy that uh, during 14 won 15 games here in Baltimore. Yeah, he had the stuff to be a big-time pitcher, I think, inside his head. Not so much, but that's the beauty of having the alternative reality of being a closer. You don't have a lot of head to have. You right. just need to come to the park every day. And and I remember it. I used to preach it to Kevin. Uh, what was his name? The assistant general manager of the Orioles with Pat Gillick. Kevin. Oh God, the guy who had been with the tw- the Expos and the Twins. Kevin. He's out of baseball. He went to the Dodgers. He was a general manager. Oh, Dodgers. I know who you're talking about. Signed uh, Kevin Brown to that huge contract and was a flop out there. But he was always telling me that Arthur Rhodes was a starting pitcher. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm telling you, I've watched him enough now. He, There's certain athletes that need to come to the park and not know whether they're going to perform that night or not. You know, But waiting around four or five days to start games – um, was a different story. Kevin Ryan? No. No, it's not Kevin Ryan. God, what was his name? It's driving me nuts uh, now. Blah, blah, blah. Had very thin hair. Yep, I know. All right. Anyway, we argued back and forth, and I think I proved to be pretty right on Arthur Rhodes that coming to the ballpark every day, not knowing whether he would pitch was a good thing Kevin for him. Malone. Kevin Malone. That's, that's it. Kevin Malone. Um I think that worked out pretty good for Arthur Rhodes, and I think you will see Bud Norris be an effective relief pitcher, be it a closer or a setup guy. I think with his ego, he sees himself now as a gunslinger, you know, right. that wants to be the closer. I'll tell you, I thought the Cardinals, I would have let that play out a little bit before I would have signed Greg Holland for $12, 13000000 million. Well, I'll tell you the one thing about Arthur Rhodes, and you talk about reinventing yourself, Here's a guy who had, you know, early in his career, electric stuff, electric fastball. Right. And he learned when he got to the bullpen how to redefine himself, but also how to pitch in those situations. And he talked to me once uh, when he got to be, I think he was in Cincinnati at the time. Right. He pitched for about eight teams. Right. And and he said to me, he said, it's all about what you were talking about in terms of that late inning closer type role is the short memory. Don't let what happened today affect you because you, you'll probably get the ball again tomorrow. Now he was a guy also that did not really want the ninth inning. He right. he liked he liked the I'm s- not here by the way. He liked the seventh and the eighth or the sixth, seventh and eighth. Right. And uh, you know, that's the way it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, and and again, uh plus he was left handed Plus, he pitched into his early 40s. He was great. Which just goes to prove that if you're left-handed, you, you can, can you you can pitch pretty much forever if yeah. you want. I'd like to come back as a left-handed there pitcher. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know. Anyway, uh, the Orioles, as we mentioned, though, play these two games against the Tigers here. Then they head out west for six. They play the Angels for three. And then they play Oakland for three before coming home. And then they've got eight at home, uh, three against Kansas City. Three against Tampa and two against the Phillies, and that's part of that's part of the scheduling problem. If you're going to Anaheim and then to Oakland, 
Why not three in Seattle so you only have to make that trip well, once? Well, we only make it once this year. Yeah, I'm saying, yeah. All right. Anyway, well, no, we don't. Have... Go, I don't think we go back. I, anyway, we'll talk about that. Joining us right now, part of the Kansas City Royals broadcast team. We got him for a short while. He's got a doubleheader to prepare for is Steve Stewart. Steve, how are you, my friend? I'm good, guys. How are you? Good. And you remember Mr. Heist? I sure do. We thought maybe you blew us. We thought maybe you blew us off because you didn't like heist. Yeah, well. Well, that's you know that's that's my explanation. Well, and and it wouldn't it wouldn't be the first time. Yeah, (laughs) we have. uh, It's weird, you know, with all these postponements. You know, we've had five postponements, including an exhibition game at our AAA club right before the year starts. Yep. And so this is our third doubleheader in eleven days. Wow. Awful. Uh, and I'm just getting to the ballpark for a day-night doubleheader. And, and anyway, you guys know how it is. It's a busy time of year. But uh, what's going on? Well, we wanted to talk to you. Uh, apparently, uh, Rock Kabatko with Masson wrote a piece today where he quoted Dan Duquette, executive uh, vice president of Baltimore Orioles, uh, says he's not ready to tear this team down. He's going to wait to the traditional first uh, marker of Memorial Day. Uh, looking at your team, did the Royals make – you know, it was very tough for them because they had that great streak where they moved back to within two games of first place. But when you look at the big picture, should they have bailed on last season sooner or did they do the right thing by hanging in there with what they had and even adding a couple play pieces? Well, you know, you know obviously – you're making the decisions in the moment. You know, that's a tough thing, obviously. You know, 2020 hindsight, say, well, it didn't happen. But our, our GM, Dave Moore, has said that when they made those pitching acquisitions, and, you know, they, they thought Trevor Cahill was probably healthier than he was. He was not, and he just did not pitch well for us. But the bottom line was this team had a core that basically, you know, that was when you, you can – work with the, within the rules and basically keep your core, you know, your guys like seven years if you don't bring them up on opening day kind of thing. Yeah. So they had brought up Moustakis and Hosmer and Perez and Kane and all these guys in 2011. So it was their seventh year. It's funny because at the end of the year, it was sort of like senior day on a basketball team, you know, where everybody was celebrated. And you never see that because most guys get traded off before you can ever do that. But um, when they made the trade, as you said, we were two games back. And, you know, you've you got a whole bunch of people helping you make the decisions. And the thought was, this team is right there. The other thing is, when are we going to be this close again? Because if we're going to break up our core, it may be a few years before we're close to the postseason again. And a lot of these guys have world championship rings. Let's, let's you know, damn the torpedoes. Let's go for it. Yep. And the other thing is that we never know, and we don't know this about Duquette, we don't know this about our, our people here, is only, only he and his close people know really what the offers are anyway, like who's yeah. out there to go get. And, and there's been a lot of underwhelming deals. I mean, obviously the Chapman deal for Glaber Torres is, is sort of a champion deal. And, you know, the, the, uh, in 2015, you know, we traded, uh, for, um, we traded Sean Manaya and wound up with Ben Zobris. Well, the Royals don't win a world series without Ben Zobris. Yep. Well, boy, it sure would be nice to have Sean Manaya right now. He just threw a no hitter last weekend <laughs> and he threw, uh, seven innings and one hundred run last night and he's a left-handed stud and we knew he'd be good he was a first round pick but we got the ring now you don't always get the ring when you make the trade and improve your team so things went well for the royals but uh yeah it's i just think it was like okay we got one more shot with this core Dave Moore is very you know he does get i will say he does have a good personal relationship with his guys and he, he feels like they're family 
But I think part of it was, look, it might be 2020 or 21 before we're ready to win again. We got so many pieces here. Let's do this. And the other side was, how much really were we going to get for three months of, you know, let's say Moustakas. I mean, look yeah. what happened to Moustakas this winter. You know, look right. at the free agents this winter. And who wants, nobody wants to give up. One of the reasons the free agent market was so frozen out was that nobody wanted to give up draft choices, let alone money. So who wants to give up prospects in July when prospects are probably more valued now than they ever have been? So it's a, it's so it's a, there's a little bit of a damned if you do, damned if you don't element. It's just kind of how it is. Steve, real quick, what's the mood of this club right now? Uh, you've had the rainouts, obviously. You've had the doubleheaders. You've had the tough start. What's the what's the mood of this club right now? Well, as Danny Duffy said after the loss last night, he said it's about as good as you can. You know, it's, it's about as upbeat as it can be for a team that is what five and what is it five and nineteen now. So right. I mean. You know, a lot of guys here are veteran guys, and uh, you know, you know, this is not a young team. There are some young players on it, but it's a veteran team, and obviously there are a lot of tradable pieces. So, you know, if you get into midseason and and you're you're way down in the standings, and you know, I mean, Kelvin Herrera, you know, was in the last year his deal. He could really, obviously, really help somebody. He's looking as good as he's looked in three or four years. And Mustakas is off to a monster start, and he won't have a draft pick attached to him anymore after this year. And, Obviously, whatever money the Royals are paying them will be down by the time we get to July if they're going to do that. And so that you know, so that that could happen here. But you know, there is no panic. I mean, obviously, Ned Yost has won a couple of league titles and a world title, and and he's you know he's matured as a manager, and he's you know he's a very even keel guy. So it's I mean, I think there's some apathy in the fan base, which is understandable. Anytime you're you're off to this kind of a start. Um, it's been a weird year with all the postponements, all the weather. You know, we've only had three or four games where it was above 50 degrees, and, you know, we get all this. So the big thing is this team has better hitting than what they've shown. You know, 29th in the league in runners in scoring position, last in the league in runs, averaging 3.3 a game. Uh, so uh, the bullpen has been kind of a, a puzzle to try to figure out. Obviously, this team's had some really good bullpens, and right now there's a whole bunch of new characters in there. And so they're trying to figure that out as well. So I would say it's about as good, about as upbeat as it can be. But obviously, nobody likes being five and nineteen. Yeah. Hey, three, three real quick bits of information before we let you go, because we know you you got short time to get ready for the doubleheader. Uh, you know, one bright light appears to be the play of the guy you traded Wade Davis for, Jorge Soler. Is the five and nineteen make it easier for Ned Yost to just? relax and let him play and see if the kid can really be a stud or not? Well, you know, I think no matter what the record is or would be, they would still be running him out there. Yep. But, um, you know, the thing about him, and you know, this team is famous for, you know, not drawing walks and being aggressive and low on base percentage. And this is a guy that really works counts and has an excellent eye at the plate. And he, I think he leads our team in walks or he's second, 14 or 15 walks. And, got on base of about 425 right now and he had a couple of hits last night he's got you know light tower power when he connects mm-hmm. but you know last year he took a lot of very close third strikes so this year a lot of those close pitches are going his way okay. and he's drawing walks so he's seeing the ball very well and i think there's some optimism because the thing about it was we were trading one year of wade davis would this right. team have been better with wade davis last year no doubt one year away davis for four years of solaire and so, and last year was a nightmare in many respects for him, but he came in leaner this year. 
worked hard, different attitude, a little more comfortable, and, and he does kind of look like a new guy, so that has been a bright spot. Hey, in spring training, a guy named Nate Carnes, who you acquired to be a starter from the Mariners a couple of years back, threw about 10 innings, struck out 18 guys. I know he had that thoracic outlet syndrome. He's had some elbow problems. They're talking about when he does come back, he'll probably work out of the bullpen. Could he be an answer out of the pen to solidify things down there? He, he could. We just don't know when. He threw, I think, yesterday and, and felt pretty good. There was some soreness there. Um, he'll be in the pen. They still see him as a starter long term. Okay. But, you know, it's been, you know, thoracic outlet, you know, is still a pretty new thing. And yeah. a relatively small number of guys have, have had it. And so for, for, um, for Nate, it's, you know, the, the training staff just monitors him every day. But we, you know, he hasn't gone, even though he's throwing, he's throwing off a mound, he hasn't gone out on a rehab yet. But, he, I mean, when he has pitched in the big leagues for us, the limited amount of time he's done it, he was very, very impressive. So hopefully he does come back in the and, near future. And lastly, it sounds like you guys are on the verge of calling up Clay Buckholtz, who's made a, a nice recovery. He's pitched at two levels in the minors. You expect him up in the next 10 days or so? Yeah, I think he has a May 1 opt-out. He pitched last night at AAA and did well. There was some thought he might pitch today because we have this double header. Instead, we called up Trevor Oaks, a pitcher from AAA. We got in the deal with the Dodgers this, this winter. But uh, I would not at all be surprised to see him in the rotation uh, you know, by sometime next week. So, uh, so you know, the reports are good from what I've heard anyway. All right, we'll see you in Baltimore in a couple of day, in 10, 12 days, all right? Great, look forward to it. Thank guys. you Thanks. for fitting this in, Steve. No problem. Thank you, guys. There you go. Steve Stewart. Since I've covered Bryce Harper, I've heard, I've I've learned new terminology in baseball. Yeah. Oppo boppo. Oppo boppo. Right, for for power to the opposite field. Being hitterish. Okay. If it's a certain way you feel, you feel hitterish. That means you feel good. I'm I'm assuming. Yeah. And Steve just gave me another one. What? Light tower power. Light tower power. There you go. I love that one. I've heard that one before. Yeah. But I've never heard of Oppo Boppo. Oppo Boppo. Well, and that's why. Does, you know, have, does I, Bryce I Harper tweet, have an Oppo Boppo t-shirt? Well, no, I will tweet, you know, you know, Bryce Harper goes Oppo Boppo, you know, number whatever, you know. And St- and Dave Ginsburg will text me back and go, Oppo Boppo, <laughs> what the hell is that? We've got to take one final timeout. I'm getting a signal from Kyle Ottenheimer. When we get back, uh, we will close things out. I've got to tell you a little bit about Big Bats. That's right. Ken Island's original sports bar. You've met him. You met Steve Garland. This guy is – I sat on his bar stools, he too. Lives in, he lives in – you've sat on the bats. Yeah, exactly. All right. He lives and breathes uh, Baltimore and Washington sports, and it's a great place there. Ken Island's original sports bar. Great place to watch the O's, Nats, still the Caps, NCAA lacrosse or any other event, the majors in golf, the majors in tennis. Great place to get burgers, sandwiches, soups, and salads. Great sports ambiance, 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. Big Bats Cafe, please tell Steve Garland that Stan the Fan and Craig Heist sent you. Kyle, I got to tell you real quick before you go to break, if you get one of those bar stools with just the bat, you're in a lot of trouble. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. 
Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Bo Smolka looks at the final NFL draft for Ozzie Newsom as Ravens general manager and how he's built the franchise over the last two decades. Additionally, what does the future hold for UMBC after their historic NCAA tournament win over Virginia? Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Spring into savings on a new car at Jerry's Toyota, Jerry's Chevrolet, and Jerry's Mitsubishi. Save a lot of money at Jerry's with free financing on over 800 new cars and trucks in stock. Jerry's has incredible springtime deals, like monthly payments as low as $129 a month on new Toyota RAV4s, Camrys, and Chevy Malibus and Cruises. Looking for a new SUV with third-row seating? Well, Jerry's has a great selection of models, including Toyota Highlanders, Chevy Traverses, and the Mitsubishi Outlander. If that's too much and you are shopping for a new crossover, Jerry's has great deals on new Toyota CHRs, Chevy Trax, and the all-new Mitsubishi Eclipse. Plus, right now at Jerry's, get huge savings on over 200 pre-owned cars, trucks, and SUVs. Do it. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road or Jerry's Chevrolet and Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing and lease payments with approved credit through dealer-designated lenders. Sale ends 4-30-18. Okay, so what do you get when you combine the Chick-fil-A Vanilla Ice Dream and their Simply Orange Juice? Well, introducing the all-new Frosted Sunrise from our friends at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. It's perfect with breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Nothing refreshes like the Chick-fil-A Frosted Sunrise. And hey, if you prefer lemon, try the Frosted Lemonade. Don't forget to think about Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square as well. For all of your catering needs, graduation parties coming up. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash Sports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand for me why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Well, okay. And I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. And speaking of uh, the Baltimore Orioles, they will play tonight. Because we were talking about the Baltimore Orioles. That's what we were talking about. Yeah. They play tonight at uh, 7.05 at Camden Yards. Uh, Francisco Liriano against and- Andrew Kashner. What's What's interesting to me about this series with the Tigers is Tillman did not pitch very well in Detroit. Yeah. Comes back here 
a couple of weeks later, and then just as stellar last night. Mm-hmm. And uh, the Orioles proved last time out that they can get to Liriano. So. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out tonight. By the way, um, lost a good buddy of mine this week, one of the main movers and shakers with the sports boosters, my friend Ronnie Levin, passed away. But um, And I just wanted to say that because he was a good friend and it was quite a shock that he, he passed. We knew he was battling leukemia. But an awful lot of times now you find somebody has leukemia and they treat it and they get the bone marrow transplant, he's all better. Uh, Ronnie didn't have such luck, but he had a wonderful life, 68 years, four nice kids, great wife of 30 years, and a lot of friends because Levinson Funeral Home was absolutely packed to the gills. But I did want to mention also a famous uh, vocalist, Bob Durow. And if you, any of our listeners out there or viewers want to hear a great song, Hoagie Carmichael wrote a song about 45, 50 years ago called Baltimore Oriole. And Bob DeRoe had one of the most famous renditions of that. Within that song is the lyric about the Tangy Pahole, mm-hmm. which is down near New Orleans. It's a city. Do you know who was the sheriff of Tangy Pahole? No. Michael Jackson, oh. the Ravens wide receiver, yeah. when he retired, he would live in Tangy Pahole. I got to tell you something. I grew up as a kid as one of the biggest fans of the Flintstones. Right. And my wife will tell you this. I can recite lines, verse from shows of the Flintstones. So next tell week, you if, you episodes. Can't, if you can't make it in next week, could you just do a couple shows? And sure, I could, I, could, I could probably do that. Yeah, but and, one of, and one of the one of the shows, or one of the shows, involved right. Hokey Carmichael. Okay. And his, he wrote a song that Fred eventually sang. Right. And, and, and Wilma and Betty, yabba-dabba-dabba, yabba-dabba-dabba-dabba-doo. <laughs> Okay, and that was that was the hit song, right? Because uh, Fred and Barney was trying to break into the uh, music business, right? And they met Hokey Carmichael, and that's a great and story. Hokey kind of helped them write this song. So did they create a cartoon character? Uh, oh yes, Carmichael? absolutely. Yeah. And you think about some of the other prominent. And did names. Hokey Carmichael really write the song? Yes. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, 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 yeah. I remember yeah, the song. And you 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 think about some of the Anne Margrock, uh, right? You know, what would you do if the Orioles announced that they were doing away with Country Boy and went to Yabba Dabba Doo? Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great in the seventh seventh inning stretch. stretch. Yeah, sure. All right. Hey, thanks for being here. You got it. Uh, Thanks, Kyle. I know you've been doing a lot of work, buddy. It's an NFL draft week. NFL draft show recap today from 5 to 7. Ken Zalas and yours truly, Stan the Fan, will be here at Pressbox, uh, excuse me, Facebook.com slash Pressbox Sports. All right. Have a great week ahead, everybody.